Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 74 of Dean Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Ben Bumhofer. How are you doing this evening, Ben? I am doing much better than last episode, and I gotta tell you, I am in a very happy, excited place tonight. You know what that means? That usually means we have a guest. It usually does. And you know what? We will not disappoint this time because, yes, we do, Ryan. Excellent. Uh, Yes, joining us this evening is the wonderful Alyssa Vischer. Hello, Alyssa. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, guys. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. (laughs) I'm just so stoked. (laughs) We're we're talking about a, a topic that... Uh, I I really need to know more about. So this, in some ways, this episode is kind of uh, a little bit selfish for me, but hopefully it helps everybody. Well, I mean, to be fair, most of our episodes are selfish because we kind of work through a lot of stuff for our own games That's and everything. <laughs> so you know what? It just it just added right onto the pile. So don't feel bad. Yes. What is the point of having a podcast if you don't get to, you know, reap those benefits for yourself directly? Exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Control the scheduling. Uh, so, Alyssa, before we jump into our main t- uh, topic tonight, uh, would you mind telling us just a little bit about yourself uh, and your D&D sphere that we're going to be talking about tonight. Oh, my D&D sphere. Well, uh, I am a disabled neurodivergent parent of four. Uh, I got into tabletop role-playing games through the Titan's Grave. Uh, well, actually, Will Wheaton Tabletop uh, to Titan's Grave to Critical Role Pipeline uh, about five years ago <laughs> and uh, showed up at my... Um, my gaming store locally here for D and D and pretty much jumped into the DMing very straight away. Um, so I've been, I've been around for a couple of years and, um, about two years ago, I started, uh, talking about D and D on Twitter and that just sort of led to another thing. And, uh, now am I, I am a trainer in the space, uh, just released my first, um, adventure on the DMs Guild. Um, I also write uh, occasionally for D&D Beyond. Um, so it's been uh, it's been a really fun uh, journey from from, you know, what are tabletop role playing games to <laughs> Oh, hi, I'm yeah. on D&D Beyond now. <laughs> what, what is happening? That was, that was super cool to see see your first article go and you've got, I think, four or five on there now. Yes, uh, and there's another one coming soon. So exciting. Tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Maybe already by the time this is released. Yeah, yep. <laughs> most likely. We will we will most certainly likely. have several epi- uh, links to those in the show notes. So be watching for those. So Alyssa is joining us tonight because uh, I love a lot of her. She goes on these giant Twitter threads. I do. Uh, about usually <laughs> about like uh the design aspects or pillar aspects or just you know various um pieces of the game. And one that caught my eye, and this was this was quite a while ago. This was back in uh July of last year. And this was and you wrote this giant one, uh just giant thread talking about uh Dora the Explorer of all things. And how that related to D and D and exploration, which I thought was super cool. So, 
I was like, that, that, was, that was my parent, my parent of four sort of jumping yes. in there and showing yes. his face. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And so I was like, this is, this would be perfect. Let's, let's have an exploration focus, exploration themed episode. Uh, because as we were talking about before we started recording, you have been through the pitfalls, the tribulations, the trials, the uh, trial and error of what works and, and what doesn't work. And it's a, it's a hard pillar. It's, it's like, it's supposed yeah. to be a main pillar of D&D. And yet it feels to me, it's a lot of times the underused or forgotten pillar of D&D. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that exploration is so tricky because it's really this like nebulous and undefined thing, you know, like we know when combat starts, we roll initiative, we take turns, we're in six second chunks, right? We know when we're like in a, a social encounter because we're talking to an NPC. Uh, when are we in an exploration encounter? Exploration is sort of like everything else, which means it is simultaneously everything and also like nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's no definition in a lot of ways um and it also gets mixed up with like what is exploration and what is travel what is wilderness travel what is wilderness es- exploration and what's you know wilderness exploration look like but what does exploration look like in the middle of a dungeon so it's like it's sort of this really undefined undefined thing Oh, definitely. It's it's one of those nebulous things that you don't really realize is such a major chunk of the gameplay until you really kind of start getting in there and realize, oh, I, I'm not exactly making up filler, but I have to fill in the spaces with stuff at the same time. Yes. My big so what this the whole thing that really started this for me was actually a couple of years ago. Um so this big Twitter thread has come out of several years of angst being like, I have to figure out what exploration is. And it started when I was, uh, I went back and DM'd the Lost Minds of Found Delver, uh, the old starter kit that is going to be turned into uh, a whole adventure later on next year. Um, and so, yeah, right. The whole, I mean, the adventure is, is great. It's well written, but as a new dungeon master, there's this, there's this like, cliff when you leave the town and have to go through the wilderness and as a dungeon master you're like okay like what the fuck i i (laughs) what do i do now yeah like uh, there's there's some encounters i could roll there's sort of a map but you know the distances don't really matter how often do i roll and then what do i do with it i a couple of i rolled a few bandits well how, (laughs) how do you make that into an interesting uh, so that was like the big catalyst for me to be like, I must, I must figure this out. I I don't like, I don't like things that I can't like solve. When there's like this yeah. question that's not answered, I'm like, I must answer it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so, so let's start with what uh, I think a lot of people would, would think of when they can, when they talk about exploration, or at least it's the first thing that goes into my mind is the travel. Like mm-hmm. the, okay, we've done a quest or we've finished some task in this little village. We're going to go to the big city. The big city is multiple days away. What do I do? Is Do I, do I, are we montaging this thing or are like, are right. we doing it day by day, hour by hour? Like, so what, if someone, if someone asked you, 
how do I make that interesting? What would what would you say just for that specific piece? Because I know there's a lot of different pieces. Yeah. I think um I think sort of like assuming that you want to make travel interesting and a part of the story, right? So first there's that question. If if you don't really if it's just there, you can skip it, you can montage. Um there are times where I just go, okay, well, you left the city. It's been four days. You know, does anybody want to do anything on the chatter? Was there anything, <laughs> right? Um, but if not, we'll just get to go straight on and, oh, hey, guess what? You're at Insert City here. But assuming that you want to have something interesting about it, um, I think there's a few ways to go about it. For me, I actually have uh, slightly different rules while I'm traveling. I use a different resting variant because here's part of the issue is how do you make wilderness travel interesting when the game is balanced for six to eight medium encounters pay? In order to make any encounter, like combat encounter, meaningful, uh, it has to be like a deadly difficulty or (laughs) you have to do like a whole pile in a day. And then it's going to be 10 sessions before you get to the next place. Um, I have made that mistake. I have (laughs) too, actually. (laughs) I did that. (laughs) Yeah, it took us a year almost. Like it took us, uh, because we were meeting only like once every three to four weeks. So Mm -hmm. it took us like almost a year of gameplay to travel. And it was fine. And we had a lot of fun. And we really explored the countryside. (laughs) <laughs> but um, if you have a story to tell, maybe that's not what you actually want to do. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, don't do that. Um, so what I do is I do sort of like a an in-between between the regular resting rules and the gritty variant. I sort of go, when you're traveling and you're in a dangerous part of the, of the world, it's really hard to get a full, like, long rest and to really be able to to, to get all of your abilities back, especially as a spellcaster. Um, so you have to, you don't get eight hours, it's about a whole day, you have to take a whole day, and you have to be at a safe place. So you have to actually find a safe location, gap out, whether that's going to be, like, you know, a, a cave, maybe by uh, behind a waterfall or something. So you, you already have this, like, picturesque, or interesting location for for those things to happen. Um, so I sort of do like a short rest, medium rest, long rest situation out in the wild, where your short rests are unchanged. Uh, your best, basically your uh, you know fourth edition encounter uh, after your encounter. Um, your overnight rests give you back sort of your regular long rest abilities but not your actual abilities just like your hit points and your and your like your hit dice and then if you want your actual recharge stuff that comes with a full day at a safe location that you have taken the time to scout to ensure that it's safe um and then you can do a little bit of downtime at the same time you know you spend some time brewing a potion or 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 whatever um so that makes the pace of of travel potentially interesting, whereas it's pretty hard to have an interesting and captivating just like game pace otherwise. That's one of the things I do. I really like that. That's actually something mm-hmm. I'm probably going to start incorporating because uh, kind of like you, I did a very long journey 
um, that <laughs> took way too long to get there. Maybe it's like six to eight months or something, you know, out of game time. Um, and, you know, I was, you know, going through encounters that I had made and all that, but it was one of those like, okay, well, you've come across this or that. And then, okay, it's something that's not going to be super deadly. So just kind of a waste of time. But I like the idea of using those resources, but not being able to fully get them back because you're in such a dangerous place. I mean, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, if I were to go out camping in a very dangerously wild animal infested area, I'm not going to get the best night's sleep. So it, yeah. it, 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 it makes a lot of sense. And I actually I really like that. It also provides a really great opportunity for those short rest classes to shine, which mm -hmm. I find, especially in like my campaigns and my stories tends to be a little bit tricky because I, I, I tend to have not so many encounters per day. So, you know, yeah, having these classes, especially marshals, you know, really be able to take up the, uh, you know, the stance of I'm protecting these puny, weak spellcasters as we're traveling <laughs> on the dangerous, uncharted territory. Um, I that my my martial players really actually love that part of, of the story when I've done it that way. They've sort of gone, oh, <laughs> it is my time to shine. Look at me with my battle, my battle master fighter maneuvers coming back and my monks coming back on a short rest, baby. <laughs> so, so well, so while you're doing that, then does that uh, really reinforce more the exploration piece in the, okay, now we can do something cool with how you find that safe location. Yeah. So that's one, that's one sort of opportunity. Um, I, so I think that a large part of the problem with exploration, um, particularly, it really shows up really clearly when we're, you know, in a chill situation, but in general, is that you, you have to have a hook. Players have to be cued that there is something to discover. You know, like if you're playing a video game, you can pop up and there's like this interact button or maybe there's like a mm -hmm. slight little glow, <laughs> right? There's nothing, there's nothing for that. You need to essentially give them this like, hey, there's something cool. Like, you know, maybe you want to go check that out. Um, and so you have to really, you have to plan encounters and plan exploration encounters. Um really well and really intentionally and with a with a hook so i plan out um so i think for an example um i was running uh travel a couple of months ago um and my players noticed a glint of metal off of the path that they were sort of following so they have the choice then they can wander off the path and investigate um and maybe lose resources or they can keep going and not lose those resources but also not get whatever is shiny and i make my rewards uh for taking additional risks quite uh quite nice and good that is actually the majority of my like medium power magic items come from poking things with a stick <laughs> going off going off the beaten path so like when we're traveling and, and doing wilderness travel it's like fresh you know paw prints maybe with really deep claws extra wide you know maybe extra paw prints that are just sort of crossing the path and they're fresh right or 
the glint of metal or you hear like strange animal sounds a little bit away or you know um the trees are moving much faster than they should be in the wind there's no wind but there's trees moving you know those kinds of things these cues that alert the players that there is something somewhere else for them to look at if they want to because exploration should be i think an option a choice mm -hmm. you know that the MacGuffin isn't there probably maybe <laughs> probably <laughs> but something great might be yeah yeah so I think, so the, yeah coming yeah yeah no I, I i like that i like that a lot it's it's the the kind of thing where i guess uh since you're you're talking video liken it to the the side quest right this is not this is not necessarily on the main quest line but yeah there could be some really cool stuff or story mm -hmm. or treasure or something if you want to do it and if not as a dm then you can just pluck that and move it somewhere else later and reskin it if you in the hopes yeah that they don't come back to that same spot to try to find it like 10 levels later <laughs> Oh, somebody else has got to it by then. Sorry. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> Did you lose? <laughs> Maybe now the uh, the villain was, you know, their lackeys were following you and you didn't go and investigate it. You didn't want to get in the big, scary, you know, vines that looked like maybe they were sentient. Uh, and in the case of the glinted metal, they, they were. There was a bunch of assassin vines. Um, oh, I guess now your enemy has the... Has the nice shiny thing. Yeah, for some That's reason, you. <laughs> they now have the helmet of awesomeness that you could have had, but unfortunately. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that's that. That's really great. Um, I love I love that kind of thinking about it is the providing hooks, but not like forcing them down because forced exploration really isn't necessarily exploration. Right. It's that's that's one of these. OK, I have this thing ready and I'm going to make you do it type things more more so than. Here's a cool thing. If it sounds cool to you, go do it. Check it out. If not, you know, you've got uh, the world to save over on the other side. But maybe you could take a break. Yeah, in, in essence, it's kind of like when you're, you know, building up your story and, you know, giving the players options on what they want to do next. It's just in a different sort of setting where, you know, this way they're, you know, traveling from one place to another and they're finding all these different opportunities in, in kind of the same exact way. So, yeah, hook them however you can is really kind of what it, what it comes down to and have something really interesting and fun be there. Yeah, and this is where I use like... Um... I know that some people, they tend to run travel and, and they have their, you know, their party tends to meet like people like bandits or travelers or caravans. Um, I am much less interested in that. I'm much more interested in like the weird and wacky things that are actually in D&D, right? Like, let's go meet a Galen Dewar. Uh Oh, hi, there are like assassin vines or there's ooze or whatever. I don't meet a lot of black bears usually. I don't I, I don't tend to do a ton of that. That's like my opportunity to like 
really bring in those sort of fun and strange and interesting like creatures that are in Dungeons and Dragons, like Geonids. I love Geonids for low mm. level. Um, they're in the turtle package on D&D Beyond. I just like, they're just little cute little, little elemental, <laughs> those little cute rock elementals. And they're like, I don't know, like a quarter CR, I think. Like, that's just the perfect fun travel like exploration for like one levels one and two. Like, oh, it's not just... Not just bandits. Look, there's cool things. Go look. Go look and find the cool things. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a ton of low-level stuff that you never get to see. And so travel stuff is the perfect time to throw those in. Yeah, I I absolutely love that because, I mean, how interesting is it? It's like, okay, I'm in this fantastical world. I'm a dwarf. My buddy over there is a turtle. And then my other friend is a tabaxi. And we're walking around in this jungle where we've never been. And there's a bear. Okay. I mean, at least make it an owl bear. It's something more fantastical. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, I know that not everybody has, like, I know that some people, their worlds are a little more, like, I don't know, a little bit less spicy than mine. Um, <laughs> a, little a little grounded. A little more realistic than mine. Um, <laughs> but I would still encourage you that even if your world is a little bit less silly, that you use your silliest monsters in these kinds of things. You sort of go, what, you know, if your world has magic in it, what bits of magic might creatures have, have sort of stored up? Maybe it, maybe it's still a bear, but maybe it's slightly bioilluminescent or whatever, right? Um, this is like the time to, to pop those things in and it makes especially new players really interested right like a lot of a lot of experienced dungeon masters have sort of forgotten the excitement of meeting an owl bear or the excitement of of like seeing a creature that is different that they don't know um and so like a lot of a lot of new players but they want to like meet up with these things they want to see the owl bear they want to see the little baby dragon they want to find the hippogriff whatever it might be let him do it. Let him do it. Oh yeah, a displacer beast goes a long way into introducing a new player to something fantastical. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I, and I, I, I really, I really like like that a lot because from a from a DM perspective, if you're looking for something interesting, you don't have to necessarily do a lot of work for it. Like, there's a ton of stat blocks, like like Ben was talking about, just a bear or something like that. And you said, Oh, bioluminescent. Maybe you take that and you go, Oh, there's a little piece of the Feywild over here that leaked through. And then yeah. you can walk into this completely separate area, even though you're still in the world and you've taken this small slice of something cool or fantastical, like the small slice of the shadow fell, the small slice of the Feywild, or, you know, this small slice of, I don't know, the nine hells that's ripping through in a portal and uh, sure to be certain doom at some point. But you can do that in the regular world with travel, have it be somewhat relevant as, oh, it's this little piece. It's I'm not like suddenly transported to a completely different realm, but then you can use all sorts of different stuff that you normally couldn't use. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it probably doesn't make a lot of sense for Big Bad Evil Guy to set up shop near the predictable uh, Feywild portal. I mean, maybe it does, but uh, potentially, maybe your, you know, hellish uh, villain probably doesn't want to do that. But you know what might be a city in there? Like all of these other things. Um, it really is a perfect opportunity to to teach and to showcase your players your world. What you know, and especially for, you know, DMs who love this sort of extravagant, uh, detailed world building, this is the time that you can show this that uh, that to them. Um, and then also just for those who really love little bits and pieces of it, you know, what makes your fantasy world different from our mundane world and, and show that to them. Um, it's sort of like, it's like teaching your, your players, your world, sort of like through the encounters. Mm-hmm. Travel is just such a perfect way to do that. <laughs> the other thing I love about travel and, and wilderness exploration is this idea of, I think it's in the monster manual. It just sort of talks about, or it might be in the, the DMG. Um, I think that it talks about like a creature distribution and that usually one apex predator can only be in, you know, a about 50, I think it's 50 or 60 mile radius. And so I like to think about, okay, so if my sort of players are traveling, how many apex predators sort of like domains have they gone through? Will they go through? And what might they see, right? So this could be regional effects, layer effects. I tend to increase the size of like, the regional effects and layer effects um, from the monster manual because of that, because I'm like, oh, I don't actually think that my players are going to travel through like four dragons worth of territory. But right. So those are sort of things that the, the players, because then they start encountering just these weird little layer effects and they go like, what, like what is going on? And you, you know, exploration is about like dropping little clues. It's not puzzles, but it's dropping little clues and and questions in front of their players, right? What is the glint, right? What is this, you know, unsavory feeling that I, you know, have from, you know, maybe a shadow dragon's lair? What is, you know, why are all the animals, you know, a little weird? Maybe, yeah, (laughs) psychic. Um, All of those kinds of things. It's just these little clues that you can drop you can drop in front of your players. Yeah, no, that's, that's really great. Uh, that's a lot of, a lot of really good stuff for, for wilderness. And especially um, one of the things I know I've done, I don't know. I don't know if you all have done that uh, this too, but I tend to focus more on travel from a level specific field. So like, especially early levels that one to five, one to six, I like to inject any sort of travel with lots of lots of encounters, lots of interesting things. Whereas level by level seven, eight, nine, ten, that's when I usually start the montaging of those same t- sort of things. Cause it's like you guys have been there, done that. Nothing along this road or nothing along this pla- area you're traveling is going to be dangerous for yeah. you. Yeah, when you're level yeah. 10, a group of bandits is not really going to do anything for you. <laughs> Although it's sometimes funny to throw those in. 
every once in a while the the low level stuff with the high level players because it really it can feel be powerful. Yeah, yeah, it can be fun. <laughs> it can be powerful, or it can just be one of those things where, uh, oh, say Critical Role. I think they uh, the Mighty Nine kept running into the same bandit group. Yeah, it was a teaching but while they were leveling. <laughs> It just got funnier and funnier. On. Yeah. 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 Oh, it was, yeah. That, that was good stuff. Um, so kind of moving on to another type of uh, exploration, multiple paths. So this is, <clears throat> this is the kind of exploration where it's just like, okay, we have a destination in mind. There are many ways to get there. I want to let the players choose the way or figure out the way or find the way. And it could be one of many things. I feel like this is this is something I've always struggled with because we're not playing a video game. You can't push yeah. M to bring the map up <laughs> and see all the different ways in to to this specific location. So in those types of situations, like what would you do to make that interesting without being able to draw a picture <laughs> and be like, here, here, guys, here's. The entire thing. There's four paths. Uh, you can this get little through glowing this dot way, is this you. Way. Yep. So here's my secret. I actually um, I don't use a lot of wilderness maps. To be honest, uh, my I find that when I map things out, I actually get way too bogged down in a lot of details about realism or even just like where are rivers and where are things, and I I. Um, I feel like I a map constrains me personally. Um, and so I tend to go sort of just basic landmarks. I um I I like map I, I mind map it out basically with like, you know, like when you remember in elementary school, like have you write down all the mind maps in order to learn how to like brainstorm mm -hmm, and to mm -hmm, create an mm -hmm. outline. That is essentially how I make my like my wilderness. And so, uh, you know, this sort of uh, actually throws back to the the door of the Explorer um, thread that I did. So for those that haven't read it, basically I talk about um, wilderness navigation through, you know, Dora the Explorer who pops up her map. She knows that she has to, you know, in order to get to Mount Doom, she has to find bridge, forest, mountain. Um, and, approximately in that uh, tone 18 <laughs> times throughout the 20 minute episode. But that is sort of, <laughs> that sort of forms the structure because they, there are these little marks that they have to find, but there's going to be different ways to find them. Right. So the bridge is probably going to be through a river over a river or maybe over a cliff. Um, and so you're sort of taking the time to find the river, decide how you want to cross it. Maybe you find one, you know, with a really angry troll who doesn't want to let you pass. And you don't really want to deal with the troll because, you know, it's a high CR and you're level one. So you find a different way to go around um, and you decide to cross the river yourself. Right. So those sort of um general landmarks allow the players a little bit of um of agency after they get past the bridge and they're sort of through the forest you know there's a couple of paths the the bridge 
has a nice stone path leading away from it through the forest, but also it sort of wise off and you see like a little like a hunter's footpath or you also see maybe the grass is you know stamped down a little bit from you know, a bunch of animals going through um this is why i find it easier to not have to do a like a fully you know fleshed out map um because i can sort of build it around my players and approach it you know, ensuring that they have different decision points at every time, you know, they sort of maybe see the mountain in the distance. Um, but here are the obstacles that they have to have to overcome. Um, yeah. That's, you know, that actually works out really well. One of the things that um, I've done is I've tried to create maps with, you know, different landmarks and everything. And you're right. It is a little constricting, especially when you're, you know, plotting everything out. Luckily, it zoomed out so far that yeah, you sort of get sucked into like hex crawl mode, yeah. which is which is not quite the same, right? Hex crawl. It's, it's a style. And it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. It is one particular style, and I, you know, for the people who it works for, it works so great for them. Um, but there isn't really a structure for like the rest of us who die <laughs> a little bit inside when we see a hex crawl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the maps that I have, they're zoomed out so far that it's like, okay, well, I know that there's a volcano over there and there's a bunch of trees. So it's like, okay, well, I know that they're going to be going through the forest and everything, but like I'm looking at it now being able to really open it up more by not having to worry, you know, is there a river going through? Does it make sense? You know, like are my, because totally not going to lie. When I made like my continental map for my players and everything, I'm like, okay, does it make sense that a river would flow this way? And let's see, Um, there's natural borders between this and mountains came up. I guess there's a fault line under that. And I'm just like, was way overthinking it. Yeah. Uh, That's exactly what I do. Hi, my name's Alyssa. And the moment (laughs) I go to map out a map, I get stuck in overthinking mode. Uh, Yeah. I don't need to play tectonics (laughs) just to get like, one single travel sequence but that's what i will do <laughs> otherwise that's what i will do yeah no i i totally get yeah. it i'm right there with you <laughs> i feel like the odd one out here because i when i throw my maps together i i use like a incarnate and i just threw stuff down it's just like yeah uh i want this continent to have some mountains yeah let's throw some mountains over there some of them are cold i think and maybe there's a desert down there would this work in a real life biome probably not but <laughs> but magic right i've had because i had someone i had someone uh I, I don't remember i was showing showing a map and they were just like you know you can't have uh x and y you know next to each other because the 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 wind or the the arid stuff would flow down and i was just like it's magic <laughs> yeah that's something that i forget when i make maps too it's like you know there are people who can conjure fireballs that blow up insanely huge amounts of area here or someone who can you know create food out of nothing it's like yeah it's it's magic Magic. I, I yeah. gotta remember that more often. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as you were as you were talking, it, it kind of made me. It, it kind of sparked a few things because I know one of one of the things I like to do with players is uh, leading questions. Mm-hmm. And so, and so when I want my players, when I or when I'm trying to get my players to look around or explore a little bit. What are the types of things you do to 
actually get them asking what's here. Uh, what am I seeing over here? Uh, you, you usually just start with the broad, the like the broad area mm-hmm. and then go, what would you like to do? Uh, or does anyone want to make a perception check or, it, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways you can do it, but it's, it's, it's very intimidating, I guess, especially as a new DM yeah. to have this area. And then your players are just like, what do we do with this? <laughs> And the DM goes, uh, uh, where, where would you like to go? Uh, th- there's some yeah. things here and there. Right. So exp- like, uh, exploration and, and wilderness exploration especially is all about location. That is sort of your structure for the exploration. That is like, that is the scene. Um, you know that you're in an exploration mode because you are in a location and you have to figure out what is there and what is through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do um, tend to sort of roughly visualize my wilderness as um, as a dungeon, right? Wildernesses have these sort of natural ebbs and flows. They have the e-ways and the hard ways. And so like, unlike a dungeon where you're likely not walking through walls, you can, you know, trespass the barriers in a wilderness, but it it isn't easy. It, that's not the easy way, right? Um, you've got your rivers and your waters and your mountains and your big trees and your thickets and your, you know, your burly grass and all of those things. So so you can use those things to to make your location smaller. So that it's not just this big, wide open, like miles of grassland or miles of forest with, oh, I don't know, well, whatever's in a forest, I guess. Um, <laughs> but, but that you can make it specific and so that it's actually a location in the same way that you have a dungeon room. So, right, you know what's in, what is in the kitchen in the dungeon room? Probably a fireplace, you know, a table, some chairs, some cupboards, etc., cetera, etc., cetera the same sort of thing. And so it's really, really about the location and ensuring the specific, the specificness of it. Um, Actionable stuff. Yes. Yes. Actionable stuff. Right. And so I think that we, you know, sometimes when I was trying to figure out this whole traveling thing, there's this whole sort of school of thought about, you know, sort of adding color and flavor to it, but they're not really like, anything interesting or game breaking or decision, you know, inducing. They're just like, oh, you found some nuts on a squirrel. Visited you by the camper last night. Um and that works for some groups, but my players look at me like I am high. They are like, <laughs> what what am I supposed to do with that piece of information? That is cool. I guess I shall like Enjoy the nuts that I stole from the squirrel. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe your players are. <laughs> you turn that around, and sentient squirrel army comes to attack to get those nuts back. Well, I mean, there's, <laughs> I there's a lot of there's a lot of potential you could do with angry squirrels. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, they're a challenge rating zero, so definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, but I. Like, I shamelessly cue my players. Like, I have a list in front of me when I am dungeon mastering of uh, not just my players and their, like, AC and their hit points, but I have their tool proficiencies. 
I have their languages. Um, I have their skill proficiencies and any relevant like background features or like story features that that we know. Um, and I will shamelessly be like, hey, um, you know, Elena, you uh, because of your uh, your nature proficiency, here's what you noticed. Right. Or the dwarf with the stone cutting. Right. Mm-hmm. You notice actually that there's been some uh some markings on the on the stone that are slightly covered with moss or like i i don't i don't ask if players if anybody would like to make a perception check or anything like that i use passive skills i i shamelessly use passive skills um because that's my hook right that's my hook is oh the player who is trained in nature notices this thing and now we have an opportunity and they can decide mm-hmm. what to do with it um, I don't even lock that behind a skill roll in case they fail. Uh, you know, there's sure. options for failure later for failure for failure later on. Um, I use a lot of druidic because um, I love druids. I play <laughs> way too many druids. Um, all of those things is how I sort of like cue players as to. But you have to have the location at least like sketched out, um, and you have to give that information to the players. As if you were giving the information about a room in a dungeon. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you need to know if that those those thorn bushes over there are actually able to get past, if or if maybe they're completely not natural for this area where someone with nature would know, or someone with a high passive perception would notice. Hey, there's no animal sounds going on right now. Something's up. Yeah, and I don't actually give in a in a lot of ways. I don't tend to give a lot of like mood setting information when I'm wilderness traveling unless there is a very particular mood because players can't always, especially in those sort of seemingly large like ambiguous situations, sort the flavor information from the actionable information. Mm-hmm. They they don't know if the wind is just going because it's wind and there is wind outside or if that's important. So I slowly train my players that the information that I give you, especially when you're outside, it is like, it is important. It's all, it's all actionable information as opposed to flavor. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Flavorful, really flavorful then, you know, like, Oh shit, the sun is hot. That is weird. We're going to die if we don't have some water, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I really love that a lot. Um, I think, I think that's a great tip just for dungeon masters in general to have some sort of list of your players proficiencies, but like they uh, skill proficiencies, tools, languages, because at the end of the day, you want to have fun. And I think some people can be afraid of being, I, I don't know, maybe too contrived when they say, hey, look, here's a situation that requires a master smith. It just so happens one of the players is a master smith. Honestly, I think that's super cool because then the player gets to go, yeah, I am a master smith. I get to use this thing that I took five levels ago <laughs> and that I've yeah. never gotten to use yet. So give, give the players or give open opportunities for the players to use stuff. It's uh, we've talked about this before with monks. Like if you've got a monk in your party, make sure some of your bad guys shoot arrows. 
so that they can yep. catch them and throw them back. Like that is not yeah. a bad thing. It's it's just one of those things where you're letting your players use what they've picked and what they've done, and that just makes it more fun. Yeah, your players didn't like choose a tool proficiency just so they could write it down on the character sheet, right? They didn't just be like, I guess I'll take jeweler's tools because I just want like to write the letter J down. <laughs> they, they, they chose it for a reason. So like I build my like my monuments, like right, um, that my players come. I, I build them like almost directly from their stuff. And occasionally there will be this little thing that they don't have. Um, and that's sort of a cue for them to maybe look around more or maybe we're going to have to get some help or um, maybe we're going to take a rubbing of the letters we can't translate and find somebody who can. Um, but it's, it's noteworthy when they come across something that um, doesn't at least utilize some of their proficiencies in some way, because, you know, you got to reward your players choices. Yeah. You know, to kind of piggyback off of that as well, um, if there's certain classes that, um, you know, well, there are certain classes that, you know, they pick their spells and then that's what they have until, you know, maybe they level again. So, you know, not talking clerics or paladins or, or druids. Yeah. But, um, you know, especially like with, say, like a bard, if they know, like, comprehend languages, throw some things out there that, you know, no one in the party does know. So they're able to use some of their toolkit as well. You know, just um, yes. some, some of those support spells and, and things along those lines that you know someone might choose might be very specific in some situations but if you know that they have that give them a chance to use it because it is really exciting to be you know the one character in a, in a party who all of a sudden I can fix that or I can figure that out by doing my my special little thing so i mean it keep yeah. keep an eye on all the stuff that's that's chosen and um like you said that that they have for proficiencies as well don't be also, don't be scared to remind them that they have it too if they forget. It's I don't also like yeah, put those opportunities in front of my players because there's there's a, so many of those really situational like you know like druids got a lot of them, clerics have a lot of them. Mm -hmm. um, those spells that you don't you can't really waste your prepared blots on um, because they're so hyper specific. Um, so I also will let my players, um, especially like the ritual, uh, I'll let them usually um, like, you know, oh, you don't have that prepared, like, you know, detect poison. That's fine. You know, just make an arcana check um, and, you know, it'll take you a little bit longer. Maybe it'll cost you some like gold's worth of components, um, but allowing sort of those sort of really niche spells that they don't really have the room for preparation to have those have those moments. It's just a really small like quality of life thing, but it also it makes those characters much more excited to to enter into this exploration because they don't have to stress so much about the fact that they still have to be able to defend themselves in combat. Um, but there's all these cool spells that there's no way that they can use. How do you how do you feel about like leading players onto that stuff too. Like, like if they're about to enter an area that could benefit from maybe one of those or one or more of those niche spells, 
having some way for them to know that ahead of time. That's not necessarily just you saying, hey, you might want to prepare detect magic or something because there's going to be magic coming up. It, but more like in-game, again, optional stuff that they can find and go, oh, there might be a lot of poisonous stuff in these yeah. fronds. Yeah. <laughs> I think that dungeon masters are afraid sometimes with information. They're they're way too yes. hesitant with information. They hold their cards so close to their chest, afraid that their pay- players might get a taste of what's to come. Um, and that is, I think, in most situations, the exact wrong way to go about it. Um, you know, <laughs> it's sort of this thing where no matter how much you feel like as a dungeon master you have totally given like the whole thing dead away your players still won't get it because they are so busy trying to connect so many different dots and you know have table manners and not speak over people and also watch their sheets and see what's on their thing like half of their mission just goes like straight over their heads um so don't be stingy with your information i think i think i think cueing your players onto information, dripping down them like so much information um, is way better than being too stingy. You know, like if there's poison up close and you're, you know, your guys never, you know, uh, preparing that because they don't have room for it. Well, it's probably like, look, here's a bunch of dead squirrels. Oh, I probably look, they died of poison. You know, it it, mm-hmm. it can be really actually quite easy to do if you're intentional about it. And if mm-hmm. assuming that you're not totally flying by the seat of your pants and have actually prepared stuff in uh, in advance, which I don't always. So that is a, another <laughs> yeah, Sometimes part. that's a 50-50. Yeah. You know, roll the dice. Roll yeah. the dice. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I mean, you're totally right, too, because... When it all comes down to it, you know, Ryan and I have said this on the show many times before, you know, the idea is everybody's there to have fun. You're not trying to like create a a mystery and then not give your players any sort of answers or clues to it because you don't want them to figure out like that's no fun. That makes no sense. You know, the idea is throw as much out as they possibly can. Because, you know, they'll, they'll pick up on, on things here and there. And then if they're able to throw it all together, great. If they can't throw every single bit together, great. They're still going to have fun with what they do find and, and what they kind of throw, you know, uh, work with. And telegraphing, you know, hey, in this area, there might be a lot of magical defenses or poison or um, helpful animals that if you can speak to them, they can you know, yeah. take you through the, 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 the forest labyrinth or something, you know, like there's tons of little random stuff that you can kind of toss in there. And honestly, I, I feel like it's a huge missed opportunity with a lot of those rituals because of the whole, like, you don't have a lot of room as a prepared uh, caster for those kinds of things. Um, and so, I mean, we, there's the whole joke, you know, it's, it's called Wizards of the coast for the reason wizards really do get sort of like, the everything there right because they don't have to prepare their rituals they can cast it mm-hmm. you know most of the time if it's in in their spell book i uh i just let my like i just let my other guys prepare like cast it if it's a ritual um you can cast it as a ritual you can't cast it as a spell um so you're gonna have to take the extra time and there might be consequences for that um but just like let your druid speak to animals you know let your cleric detest 
detect magic or detect evil and good, you know, let them use those things. It'll honestly make your your exploration and your wilderness scenes and your travel, um, in my experience, so much better because your your players have tools to engage with. If if they don't have the room to like to prepare those kind of spells, they don't have the tools necessary to engage with the content, and that that sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as a player, that sucks. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes a lot of fun. sense. Fun, fun. <laughs> All right, you walk into a room. There's a locked door over there. It's made of iron and you have no key and you aren't able to pick a lock and you don't have a weapon that could break the door and there's nothing that you can do ever. No fun. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, everybody's yeah. a sad panda that day. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so, we're going to leave. <laughs> so this is, this is good. This is a good little segue too, because um, talking about kind of items and players, uh, I remember and. I know you had mentioned this this a little bit earlier, and you were talking about this on Twitter. The uh, how many magic items is too many items to give give to people? <laughs> oh man, oh man, is this like is this you want to open up this can of worms? Because so, I have opinions. Yes, I, so I I I do because there's there are so many official items that are not big sword hit and kill you know like shield defend there's so many like utility type items and i feel like and we've talked about magic items before i know there is a fear of a lot from a lot of dms of giving too much and i think that that can certainly be the case as far as power items go but there's so much you can do with uh limited use or utility type items and so what are your thoughts on those, especially in regards to exploration yeah. or having those help with the exploration? Oh, a little story. I was reading the new uh, Spelljammer um, adventure uh, yesterday night um, and I was drinking my water and I literally choked on it um, and like spit it out because um, you start at level five. It's a it's level five beginning. And so it's like, you know, if you don't have level five characters here, you can create them. You know, you get six hundred, I think, six hundred fifty gold gold pieces for purchasing equipment. And if you're running a high magic campaign, they each get one uncommon item. And I was just like, ah, what? <laughs> like it's so little. That's it. Like what? What is the point of having three attunement slots if, like, you don't even have three magic items until you're level 20? <laughs> like, I, like I said, I have opinions on this. I, I think also is that if you only give out a couple of magic items, then they have to be powerful ones. If your players only see a couple of magic items, you know, um, they're going to be disappointed if they get, like, a drift globe and a gem of brightness and a bag of holding. Um, and that's it. But if they all have a magic sword or a magic wand um, that is like powerful, but they're lacking all the utility items, then yeah, a drift globe and a brightness might be actually interesting and exciting and useful because they provide a utility that they don't have yet. Um, 
You know, there's so many of those kinds of items. And those are the great kinds of things to throw in as your exploration rewards because they don't actually don't actually increase the power level that much. Um, you know, you can and you can just throw in one more like bandit or one, you know, increase one of your creatures by one um, in your encounters, which is that's not a bad thing either. Exactly. And also give them things to kind of um, overcome some of their detriments. Like, you know, if you have someone running around in plate armor, throw a pair of, uh, you know, elven boots at them so that, you know, they're not always at disadvantage on stealth. Have them have a straight roll. Give them give them that just little extra boost. It can't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And players love that, right? Like, you know, I think um, one of my like first couple of experiences was with um, early Adventures League. So, like, I think we were running, I think we were even running like the the Tyranny of Dragons, Horde of the Dragon Queen, but with like the the Adventures League uh, themed adventures. Mm-hmm. And because Fifth Edition is not like it is officially like a low magic setting uh and game compared to previous editions you know your first couple of adventures and like all you really get is a couple of like you get one small uncommon item each and so you have to play like four or five times before you as a person actually get something because it's one you know per per player um sort of one for the whole group right so that's really quite um it's sort of a bummer because you know you're you're playing D and D to fight things and to get treasure and to loot and and to not get any of those things. Um, that's a bummer. But there's also so many other low power like options for rewards in the Dungeon Master's Guide. You've got your charms. You've got your um your like your little blessings. Um, there's a whole like list of minor like beneficial um lesser beneficial uh powers or le- and and major beneficial things and so you can you can just have these like one or two little things that just provide something that is consumable um and so then your your power level isn't it, it doesn't sky boost skyrocket too quickly yeah, yeah. Well, i got to that ranty i told you i have really strong opinions about magic items no, that's that that's really good. Uh, one of the things I I love, um, I love giving items that make players think. Uh, so one of the things I usually do with my groups, uh, get a bag of holding early, and I almost always will provide a way to get a immovable rod very early. Yeah. Um, there's a few other things kind of like that. Uh, uh, what is the the rope that you can like? uh throw and it like will tie around different things by itself or i i don't remember exactly it's kind of like a live rope type thing there's a few items like that yeah there's a few items like that and i am very i'm very much a fan of getting those types of items to the players very early because i find that especially in just to kind of bring it around to exploration that those types of items can be a the catalyst for some very creative thinking on the part of players or when I as a DM throw a situation at them without knowing exactly how they're going to get out of it. 
That is so true. Uh, you know, like uh, an immovable broad is one of those things that has like infinity, infinity uses. Oh yeah. Um, right. Like, and those are the kinds of things that, um, those additional items that really increase the player's fun and the potential for fun because it's a new tool. It's not just more power, but it's a new tool that can be used creatively and like in so many different situations. Yeah. Big fan. Big fan. Everybody needs a bag of holding and an immo- and an immovable rod. Everybody needs a bag of holding because nobody wants to actually. No like, one wants to carry that encumbrance. <laughs> no. no one wants no. to deal I, with that. I do not want to do math. I do not play D anD D to like to keep stock and inventory. I do not. No, thank yeah. you. Oh, yeah. I, All I, the extra ammo's in the bag of holding. I've been in yeah. a game where someone wanted to do that, and it was not that great. Well, and that's really interesting too because. When I asked a couple of months ago on Twitter what exploration meant to people, you get these two very different responses. And one is this idea of like discovery and finding new things. And the other is resource management. And there are people that really love this idea of resource management because for them, that is the motivating factor for exploration. I need to go explore because otherwise we're going to die because we're not going to have enough water or food. And for those people, the whole, you know, ranger and outlander thing they struggle with um, because for them, it removes their motivation and they really enjoy that. And on the other hand, other people who just want to find cool things couldn't care less about rations, water, or any of those things. I'm a cleric. Create food and water. Boom. The end. Yep. But also, your cleric then gets to use their things, so... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am very much not a stickler for those types of things at all, unless we are actually going to a situation where specifically there's no water here, or specifically there's no food here, or specifically yeah. that there's just like... Specifically, this is like... There's... Tons of mud and tar that are going to impede your movement constantly. And so usually when those types of things happen, I'll go down and go, okay, you know, what are you going to do about this? Or how are you going to feed yourself? Or how are you going to get yourself water? But most of the time, you kind of hand wave it because these are adventurers. They're smart. They know what they're doing. They're not going to like charge them a little bit of gold every now and then. And that's their supplies they get. You don't have to go super deep. And actually, that really segues into something that I wanted to talk about. We haven't gotten to talk about. And that is this idea of using um, the wilderness as a uh, as a blank canvas for problems, problems and obstacles. which it's really interesting because one of the, you know, I've, there isn't a lot of structure to D&D, uh, D&D's exploration, especially in the Dungeon Master's Guide. There's a, so many tools, but without any blueprints is essentially sort of the way that I've described it. But there is a lot of really fun and really unique tools scattered throughout the books. Um, so what I did, uh, this is an ongoing project because I keep getting interrupted by like, life and other things um right as as happens is i have a sort of a running list running google doc of all sort of the little different tidbits and tools and things that you can do the fun things that you can do to create obstacles and opportunities 
within um, sort of the wilderness travel. So you've got like your, in the DMG, you've got like the environment section. It's got like environmental hazards. You can use that for um, danger, right? In Tasha's uh, Cauldron of Everything, there's a whole nice little page about like use spells as weather. I deal from the Druid and the Ranger uh, spell list and actually their classes and subclass features I shamelessly pull from that that is like the essentially the foundation of like my entire wilderness <laughs> is just things pilfered from druids and rangers it's already done there. it's already yeah, there it makes sense. already done that's my like little hazardous terrain basically is taken from that um you know your mental tables in Tasha have all the fun things uh the blessed radiance and the, you know, the psychic resonance and all of those mm-hmm. things can provide these both and obstacles and opportunities. Um, and so you have to sort of like create your own structure, like we talked about before, sort of using counters and, and guiding your players to them and, and putting the scene in front of them and communicating sort of like cueing them. But those are the really fun things that you get to use, you know, if there's a big bad weather storm coming, your players are gonna have to go find a place to hide. Are they gonna go and look in the like the rocky crags over there for a cave? Or are they gonna go find like see if they can find a thicket in like the more thick trees yeah. over there? Yeah. Or dig a hole. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And I think that's I think that's one area along with social encounters, but that's you know, that's a different episode. Uh that the revised dmg in 2024 really would benefit from expanding upon and putting more structure around yes yes absolutely i heartily agree and (laughs) i am so excited and like i just want that book now please can i have it i can have now i love i love that you talked about (laughs) Yeah, they're going to make us wait. I love that you talked about a list, though, um, because th- that's that's one thing I use in my I, I, I call modifiers where I have a list of things and you have your generic location and then you can look at your list and go, OK, here's the generic field. I'm throwing in modifier of storm. I'm throwing in modifier of mud, uh, throwing in modifier wow. of like it's a very rocky rocky terrain and all of a sudden you've transformed this blank field into oh there's a storm going on there's tons of mud that's impairing movement there's all these giant rocks around maybe stuff is hiding constitution checks you're making constitution checks against exhaustion that'll that'll ramp up the Mm -hmm. uh the threat level yeah the tension real quick yeah 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 that'll do it yeah so i I, it's it sounds like a very similar what you were talking about is a very similar concept to that of get get the things that you can use to modify your environments and then yeah. a very generic environment can become multiple things that are wholly unique very quickly and then going further attach mechanics to those things too maybe while it's there's this huge wild storm going on. Yeah, you're doing constitution saves. Well, and you know too is is that you can have the like the resource management problems without having to do the resource management, right? So like you wake up one day and like all of your all of your rations are spoiled from rain. 
um, from a little bit of acid rain. And it wasn't enough to hurt anybody, but it's enough to spoil all of your rations. Now you have to, you know, right now you've got the problem of, shoot, we only have a handful of rations now, the ones that were like, you know, securely in whatever, um, or the water or whatever it may be. You can you can have sort of daily events um, that bring in those problems or those obstacles without actually having to travel, uh, track water and rations. Um, if you are like me and would rather hang from your toenails than that. <laughs> I feed four children every day. I don't want to have to worry about feeding my party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many times I've been, I've been playing That's and totally all of a sudden fair. it's just, um, yeah, I have five rations. I'm going to go ahead and eat one. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Yeah, it doesn't happen. <laughs> Oh uh, man, that's so, so much good stuff. Um, ben or Alyssa, were there any other specific exploration based topics that you wanted to cover? I know I've, uh, I've, I've had my list <laughs> I'm looking at in the, in our uh, sheet. I, I think I've covered most of the stuff um, that I was, that I had written down. Is there any other big topics that you can think of that we didn't hit on that you uh, want to talk about or feel passionate about talking about? Uh, there is one thing I do really quick is specifically to bears, um, is that you have to create characters that are curious. You have to create characters that want to explore. So we talked mostly about like wilderness exploration here because that's sort of like the really big undefined thing. But also like when you are in a dungeon, like investigate things. Polk things with the stick. Does something look suspicious? You know, oh, yeah. oh, go hit it. You know, go see what it is. Maybe it'll come out and eat you. Maybe not. But it'll be fun, no matter what happens. Um, and don't be afraid to keep on interacting and keep on looking, even if you don't find anything. I, as a dungeon master, I train my players by prompting them and by continually putting things in front that they need to, like, check. Um, but as a player, don't tell anybody this, you can totally train your dungeon master to like give you things to explore by constantly asking them for the things that you want to see. You know, if you, for instance, play a druid um, and you just would like to see some druidic show up once in a frickin' blue moon, <laughs> just keep asking your dungeon master, if there is any druidic signs while you're traveling, eventually there will be some druidic for you. Um, yeah, and, and just make characters that are, that are interested in the world around them for one reason or another. You don't have to look for everything, but if you choose something that your character is interested in, you know, um, I'm autistic, and so I have my special interest, which is D&D. But, you know, sort of imagine that your character has like one thing that they're really interested in. What is their special interest? And you probably have a mechanic for it. You probably have a, a skill or a tool proficiency or maybe a language. But you can like look for it everywhere. Um, and it gives a reason to explore and, and interact with the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you're That's done shared buy-in. They'll, they'll pick up at it. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I think you have to demonstrate that also to your your DM because a lot of DMs have the experience where they have had people or players that haven't been interested in the world. And so eventually they sort of stop 
planning all of these like things because nobody really cares. So when you show them that they care, that you care, then they, they become a little bit more interested in providing that for you because they want you to have fun. Yeah. Um, and to kind of piggyback off of that, um, as a DM, what I'll say is, you know, if, if the player does ask you if something's there and, you know, like, again, we're, we're just going to throw ourselves in a forest and stuff. If a player asks, you know, oh, oh, well, are there any, um, you know, like like twigs or broken, you know, uh, tree branches or anything on the ground? Just go with it. I mean, they're already kind of imagining it and picturing it in there. Add it in with that as well. You know, it doesn't have to be exactly a feature for what you want, but it helps build that environment out for everybody who's playing. So just kind of, you know, pull with suggestions of things that they have, unless it's something you know, entirely different. Like, is there a Lamborghini parked in this clearing? Um, <laughs> no, but you do see a nice, comfortable rock or, you know, just something there, <laughs> but yeah, just kind of go with it, build it together and, um, you know, make it an interesting place overall. And I think you got to be a little bit specific, right? So sometimes players just be like, I'd like to investigate the room. Okay. You know, paint me a word picture, you know, as Embria Arengard says. I love that uh, line of hers is, well, paint me a word picture. Like, wh- what are you doing? What are you looking for? Um, so, you know, don't just tell your uh, your DM, I'd like to explore the area. You know, give them a little bit more to work with. You know, I'd like to look around the campfire, the campsite, check for, you know, signs of any exactly. or gopher holes or medicinal plants or alchemical stuff. Let them, you know, give them a little bit of, of specificness to jump off of and, and to, to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it helps you and them and everybody gets happy after that. Everybody oh. does. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I like to do as a DM, if the players is, and it works more into more defined areas. When they walk in, I try and give an overview of what the place looked like. So you walk into this cave-like room. There's a desk. Uh, there's a table in the middle. There's a lamp hanging from the ceiling. Uh, there's a small bench uh, in this. Uh, the room is very cold. And most of the then the players can then go piggyback off of what I just mentioned. Oh, I want to go look at the desk. I want to go look at the table. I want to go check the bench. And because it, it's just one of those things where you can either ask your players, what what do you think you see? Or um, what are you looking for? Or as a DM, you can kind of give the highlights, not that those are the only things that exist, but those might be the, the big important things in the area. Exactly. And with like players and DMs both doing that together, you just fill a room with so much character or an area with so much character that it just it feels lived in at that point. That's the goal, right? Is that a location that feels that feels real, that feels tangible. There's something in there that you can actually that you can actually engage with. Exactly. Yeah. Shared storytelling. What it's all about. Yeah. Awesome. Well, man, I learned a lot. Yeah. Same here. Like I'm yeah. going to be using a lot of this. I'm, I, I really want to get back on the road. I never thought I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure my party doesn't want to yeah, sit here that either. 
just you know, just like experiment because there's so many different little things that you can do. Um, I just look, I just run my my poor players. I just run them through the gambit as I'm just like experimenting <laughs> with one thing or another. They're all really really good, um, but you can just have a lot of fun with it and do do some sort of wacky and wonderful and wildly fun things on the road. I promise, promise. Yeah, and it is okay as a DM especially if you are experimenting to after session, ask your players, was this interesting? Was this cool? Was this fun? Is this something you would like to see more of? I think that's another one of those you were talking about DMs holding information too much, too close to the chest from a meta perspective. I think a lot of DMs Mm. are also afraid to do that sort of stuff too. It's like, I want to know what my players like. And so that I can provide more of that. So if there's something that fell on its face, I also want to know that too, so that I can adjust it for next time or put that to the side and rework it and potentially bring it back later or shelve it because it's just didn't work. Definitely. The stars, stars and wishes mechanic changed my games and changed the way that I was able to get uh, feedback and information. Because I found that even if I asked players how were um, I struggle to get information from them, um, you know, because they don't always want to tell me what they didn't like because, you know, my players just like, they just want to like shower me in compliments. And I'm like, well, I need to know. Like, don't just please give me constructive criticism. Yeah, right. And so this opportunity to be like, stars, what is something that you liked? Wishes, what is something that you would like to see of? That gives it, uh, uh, an opportunity for them to frame it positively, which my players like because they don't want to give me negative stuff. Um, so being like, well, here's something that that I would like. If they're tired of the road, they might be like, yeah, I'd really like a town. I'd like to see an inn. That would be that'd be great. Could could you could you bring me to a tavern so that I can you know, or a magic shop? I'd like to see some civilization again. Um, you know, that gives them the opportunity to do that. It's a great little structure. Yeah, that that is a that is a really great structure uh, and a great way to provide that, a good feedback mechanism. Yep. Sure. Okay, cool. Uh well, before we kind of get toward the the end of our show. First off, Alyssa, you are wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming for having and me. talking so about much. exploration. Uh but I want to give you a little time to talk about not only uh where people can find you and some of your stuff but specifically a very cool adventure that just came out on the dms guild a few weeks ago called fate's lingering shadow that you authored uh and so i wanted to give you a second that you could uh kind of uh promote that and tell people what that is because it has a very exploration uh I guess, uh, lean to it. It, it does. It's yeah. Um, so it's called face Ligger and shadow. And I wrote it as part of the write your first adventure through uh, story t- uh, tellers collective. So it was all written from zero to publishing in uh, one month. It's uh, an 8,000 word chunky, chunky little boy. Um, and I am so proud of it um, because it was just so much fun to shape and to write. Um, and it is exploration in a slightly different way. So 
Um, I found about halfway through that there were some exploration concepts that I really wanted to flesh out, but I knew that I didn't have enough time to do them justice. And so that is like coming up later. I hope to be able to get to that after I've got a few got a few other projects for other folks um, that I owe first, but I'm hoping able to really will be like my my December, my Christmas present to myself will be able to really flesh those out. So what it is, is um, it skips the road part, actually, and brings you right to a, a valley. And your job is to find a temple that has been lost. And so this is really a, a opportunity to be like, here is a patch of land. There is something cool in it. Probably. You gotta go find it. Where Where is it? Um, and so the first part of the valley focuses on three main, um, three main locations, um, sort of like, you know, landmarks. Um, and they all interconnect in that something from location one is useful in location two and location three. Um, and so you don't have to do all of them. Um, but you have to do at least probably one or two of them to be able to find the secretly warded road to the actual temple itself. And so it it showcases what exploration can be to start off with. I think for, you know, a lot of DMs, this idea of trying to create a whole wilderness for their uh, players to navigate feels like a big, a big chunk. And uh, I wanted to design this as a way to teach your players to sort of expert without um, without the the feeling of vastness. So it's a little bit more contained, a little bit easier. Um, you've got sort of these three locations, um, and in each of these locations, there are additional things that you can uh, encounter, that you can play around with, lots of things that you can poke with a stick if you'd like to. Um, and and some of the encounters are not balanced. Some of the encounters, uh, you know, I I went through it and sort of was like, actually, I'm gonna leave this. I'm actually gonna make this a little bit more harder, a little bit more this. But you are you are rewarded. You are rewarded for the additional risk. Um, so you can again use that to teach your players this. I you know some of those fundamental aspects about exploration, which is really interacting with the world looking for discoveries, you know, taking a little bit bigger risk to get big rewards and this sort of like interconnected nature. Um, and so I'm hoping to have a uh, sort of like a part two or a, an updated thing with more wilderness stuff. Um, uh, because I like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a farm girl by, uh, by growing up. And so put me in the middle of you know, the Manitoba prairie with some trees and uh, some flowing water, and I am happy. So that is hopefully, you know, early 2023. But it's called Fate Slingering Shadow. It's gotten a lot of really good, um, a lot of really good feedback. And I'm really, really excited about it. And I think that you guys will all like it. So um, you can, the link is currently in my bio, uh, a Twitter. My handle is at Alyssa Vischer. Uh, that's V-I-S-S-C-H-E-R. And I'm sure these guys will throw links there so that you don't have to try to remember the funky spelling <laughs> of my last name. You certainly um, will. You certainly will. Certainly um, will. And then I'm, 
I'm also on D&D Beyond. I've got a couple of articles there. If you read my articles and you purchase the uh, my adventure, I think you will find uh, places that I have worked really hard to take my own advice, which is not always the most fun or the easy thing. Um, so you might you might see you know it might be an opportunity for you to be like, oh, here's this article about setting up scenes and encounters for your players and how to write better box text. There's some interesting example of that in my adventure. So if you're that kind of a learner, you can do that. That's awesome. Yeah. I really I and I'm I'm just shouting out we'll have we'll have all the links to these in the show notes on Dndiscussions.com as well as uh, a link or two to some of the articles. Uh I have to I have to shout out I really loved the one about playing uh charismatic characters as a non-charismatic person. Mm-hmm. That was a that was a great article on D&D Beyond. Uh, the real, yeah, the really fun thing about writing those articles is that um it forces me to think about those things. Um and I am somebody who does not like to play charismatic uh characters because that feels like too much pressure. So now that I've actually written at that, I might actually play a bard uh, next character. I feel like there's no potential for that to happen in this actual reality. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. Uh, very cool. All right. Uh, well, we will have, uh, again, all those links in the show notes. And then, of course, as always, before we go, we usually like to talk just for a few minutes about stuff that's going on in our own games. Uh Alyssa, have you have you thought of have you thought of a story yet? A um, good D and D story. Have I thought of a story? I mean, I don't. It's not really a funny one. I think it's just an example of like. So in the testing of my adventure, I had an opportunity to do a testing before I had finished writing it. Um, our DM, uh, who I play under. Uh, a day off and so um, she was sick and so I volunteered I was like oh well maybe you know I'll I'll test a half-baked adventure Um, and it was just interesting because the the temple is a temple of three fates and so there's this little there's this little temple where you have um, where at that time I had written three different offering bowls and I had just sort of talked about there being like flax in one and a basket in another and uh, linen in a third. And so my player was like, you know, is there anything like in common between the three of them? Is like the same plant? Like, is there like the plant that you would make linen? Is that what is in one of the other like bowls? And I was like, yes, yes, there is. Sure. That is definitely what I had planned. And they were like, (laughs) is there any of that around? And so they did a little search and a little check and they found the plant that I absolutely for sure, a hundred percent had prepped and planned to be there. Um, and it just reminded me again about the, the like, you. I do not actually have to figure out how to solve the problems that I make for my players. I can totally just throw something at them and they will figure out their own solution. Mm-hmm. And I can just pretend that that was my plan all along. 100%. I think I, think I was actually tweeting about that earlier today. The uh, You don't necessarily have to have a solution. Sometimes you throw the problem down and... Then you just sit back and let the players start throwing things out 
And then you can just be like, that sounds like a good one. Yeah, that's the solution. <laughs> I just do just revel in the chaos. Just, you know, yeah. revel in it. <laughs> this chaos I have created. Yeah, oh, I love it. And then they're just you incredibly guys? clever for figuring out what your entire plan was. The whole time. Yep. <laughs> ben, I know that there was a summit and a rescue on an airship with dragons and all sorts of stuff. What yeah. is what was the aftermath? Well, of, of all that, the aftermath was a shorter session than I was planning on because I was talking a whole lot and coughing a whole lot and it would wipe me out. So it was shorter than it would have been. But um, we went through the aftermath of that, you know, the big, huge fight with that avatar of Tiamat and then the, the dragon coming in and then the mind control and all that stuff. So long story short, I think the, the absolute highlight of what happened was um our cleric who has been, you know, with, with the party the entire time um, he's gone around. He's his entire backstory is he was disowned from his father for, you know, kind of leaving home and taking up the adventuring life. And his father happens to be the head of the nation now who's at this trade summit and seeing what his, his son could do, seeing the help that he did, that he's like kind of this chosen champion of their God and everything. Um, he just impressed them and they had a reconciliation and it was a, just a beautiful moment of like, before I had to role play, this guy as like kind of a total jerk and it was not fun to do, but you know, it, it had to fit with the character and everything, but kind of seeing him come around and, you know, like his viewpoint of his son uh, changing in his eyes and, and that reconciliation was, was absolutely amazing. Um, the, the party ended up talking to the, the mind controlled King who has, you know, kind of seen what's happened over the past three years as he's been controlled just this over and over again, this whole time and kind of coming to terms with the loss of, of that time and the changes he has to immediately put into place to, you know, make his, 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 his city and country better and, and all that. So it was kind of a lot of wrapping up and uh, next session, we're going to be jumping into the actual like uh, celebration, the ball, the, the dinner um, for the summit that we've been waiting for in real lifetime for like probably a year or a year and a half now, because wow. it's been so long that we've been building up to this. So yeah, next section is just going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a, just a big old party and uh, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, just overall, it's just, I'm I'm very satisfied with everything that happened over this arc um, that, you know, it's the, the second arc for this campaign and uh, we're going to be moving into the third arc soon. And I'm really looking forward to hopefully pushing, getting them to 20 and, you know, finishing up there. So, yeah, in fact, they just leveled to 12 and everybody's all happy awesome. about that and stuff. And yeah, it's just I'm, I'm really excited about what's been going on. Very cool. Yeah, can't wait to hear about the party. Oh, it's going to be great because uh, <laughs> spoiler alert, our bard is uh, she is getting a date from the House of Ill Repute because she wants to bring a date. Although it's a high class House of Ill Repute, so who knows what will happen? I'm sure it will be very fun. I'm looking forward to it. I actually have um, I went through I made an entire guest list, created a whole bunch of aristocrats who are going to be coming along 
and uh, as well as, you know, the characters and all these different delegates and stuff. So it's yeah, I'm I'm going to be juggling a lot of people, but there's a lot of story with each one of them. So, you know, we're going to see uh, what happens with that. I'm I'm really excited. That's great. I'm very that excited. Amazing. I would like to go to this party. All right, I'll great. The party. We'll, we'll shoot you an invite. I'd like to go in real life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to go to a fancy life. party in real life. Right? Oh, it's going to be great. Yeah, I haven't decided what's on the menu yet, but, you know, once I get that figured out. Probably fish. Last detail. To, Last yeah. detail. Yeah. Uh, anyways, Ryan, I know that you're juggling two very important things going on in your campaign. So, so what oh are going gosh. on with those? Yeah, my my campaign that actually that had the player die uh, is is back on Friday, so I don't have uh, a full resolution <laughs> to to what's going on there yet. Uh, but my other party currently in the Shadowfell uh, and. The last four sessions of what I've called the no good, very bad, terrible, horrible, uh, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Uh, four sessions of the exi- of the same day in the Shadowfell, just like bad thing after bad thing <laughs> happening. And it's not been my fault the whole time. Uh, this is this is poor decisions, party, poor decisions that you have made have have helped this along. Uh, they are being, uh, after escaping, escaping the town, barely, uh, just a little background. So they're in the Shadowfell because they found out that the, uh, the ranger, uh, is actually part, uh, denizen of the Shadowfell. Her, her father is a human mortal and her mother is actually a denizen of the Shadowfell. Uh, but her grandmother is a very, very horrible person, uh, who, once her dead. So they're coming. They came. Uh, it was a huge deal. The whole party was just like, we will, we've been together. We will die for you if need be. They went, uh, and they're trying to rescue, rescue her dad. And it's, it's, it's been, uh, it's been super fun and emotional and very hard, uh, <laughs> in a lot of ways, uh, for all of us, but they, they basically were no spell slots left no resources they're running from this uh entity called the houndmaster who has the shadowfell uh hounds who are very dangerous as they found out uh in the material prime material plane when they were attacked and ambushed uh and barely barely got away and so they they came to this crossroads and they decided to head for the mine uh area outside this town to hide and I, I love that this actually happened just last night because it ended up going so perfectly with our exploration themed thing, because this was kind of a uh, almost a little uh, sandbox in a way. It's just like, do we go in the mine and hide? Are we going to hide around the hills? Are we going to go to the fields on the other side? Like, what is what is this whole thing? They ended up going in the mines and through an incredibly high DC 25 perception check by the ranger found a secret panel uh, behind the rock. Uh, and so inside of that, they found uh, a little a little room that ended up being a resistance rebel uh, type hideaway. 
that uh, has been building for some time against this uh, very evil matriarch who's been kind of holding this province in a in a very iron grip. And so it's it ended up being super cool because this is something if they if they had made better decisions in the town, they could have potentially found out. Uh, but there was this other option that ended up being used just because of a very strong investigation and because they went in this certain place. And so because of all this, all these pieces kind of fell into place. They ended up leaving a note and a sending stone after reading this journal uh, and such. And so they're heading, they, they were able to hide very well in this very hidden stowaway place. Houndmaster didn't find them. And so they were able to finally, after four sessions, <laughs> get their long rest uh, and get their stuff back. And so they decided uh, we're going to do it. We're going to head to the main place. We're going to go figure out uh, where your dad is and try and break him out. So that we have a travel session, a Shadowfell wow. travel session. <laughs> Wowzers, that... I want to be in both of your games. My God, <laughs> amazing! Uh, so I'm excited. Now I can take all these all these uh, learned learned things for our our travel session to to this large like fortress manor uh, town of of Kilsing is is what it's called for them to uh, get there and figure out uh, how they're gonna how they're gonna free her dad and meet meet him. And potentially her mom for the very first time ever, as the ranger grew up thinking she was an orphan. And this was something that just kind of got sprung on her that, oh, yeah, you have you have family. In fact, you're royalty, by the way. And so it's been really funny because the party has been calling her princess and she hates it. (laughs) Uh, But she technically is just from a like birth perspective. So it's it's been fun Fun game. Very cool. Amazing. Okay. I'm, I'm excited to see to see how it progresses. All right. Well, that is it. That is it for us. Again, uh, Alyssa, thank you so much for joining and contributing and, and being wonderful and giving tons of fantastic advice. We appreciate it so much. I, I feel like I sort of threw like a fire hose that wasn't very well structured <laughs> and was just like, there's this, there's this, and also this, and you could also do this. So I hope that there was something like useful and actionable and like, like you could actually put into your games oh, uh, without definitely. too much work. Um, like you follow the same exact way that we usually talk. So it, it <laughs> no one's going to even notice that there was any difference. <laughs> Yeah. And the nice thing is you can rewind and fast forward and whatnot. So you can, you can take the, all the sections and chunks. That's, it's good. Uh, I probably forgot like a dozen things. So I'm going to like go to bed tonight and I'm going to be like, I forgot all these things. Why didn't we talk about this? Right. There look for like a follow up Twitter thread of all the things that I have forgotten (laughs) about tonight. Well, we'll just have to bring you back on again. Simple as that. Yeah. True, true. Yeah. I don't actually have to work to I mean I do have work to do tomorrow. I'm just gonna forget my work tomorrow and going to just like Twitter all all the things yeah, all the things yeah. perfect <laughs> to talk about. Excellent. 
Uh, ben, before we go, uh, why don't you tell everyone where we can be reached? All right. Well, hey, if you like this episode and you want to send us uh, some of your ideas and things that you do for exploration or any other topic, really, you can email us. Send those to dndiscussions at gmail.com. Uh, or if you want to reach out on Twitter and, you know, it's uh, one of those things you want to throw a threat at us or something that is only limited to 280 characters, whichever way you want to do it, uh, reach out. It is at dndiscussions. If you're looking for Ryan specifically, you can find him. He is at TBK Zord. If you're looking for me, I'm at Ben Bumhofer. Uh, now, this is the 74th episode of DN Discussions. So if you have not heard any other episode and you're kind of interested, thinking, hey, this tabletop RPG stuff is kind of cool. Every single episode that you have listened or that you haven't listened to is available on DNDiscussions.com or on the podcast player of your choice. Uh, basically, however you're hearing us now, where you'll hear all the other ones too now if uh you're kind of sitting here thinking wow ben and ryan they have no idea what they're talking about i bet they don't even play dungeons and dragons well guess what we do and you can listen to that on plus five to hit it is a persistent campaign that uh we were doing rhyme of the frost maiden taking a little hiatus now we are taking our steps in Strixhaven. that's right we have hit level two i'm a little owl person who is super happy and a druid that I can now shape change. So I'm looking forward to the first time we get to do that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, plus five to hit, check it out. We have a lot of fun with that. And uh, basically after that, you know, if you like what you listen, if, if you like what you listen to, if you like what we're throwing out there, let's say it that way instead, um, you know, leave us some recent reviews. Five stars is always good. Less, not as good. So, you know, only give us five stars because we're awesome. Um, that being said, Alyssa, again, thank you so much for joining us. Ryan, it is always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, always a pleasure. everybody listening, be good to each other. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.